It's Tuesday, July 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Matt Argusinger. Thanks for being here, man. Oh, yeah. Um, we're going to talk sports retail. We're going to talk restaurants. But I have to begin with the technical problems that we <laughs> that we had on yesterday's <laughs> episode. I'm very sorry about that. We've done over a thousand episodes of Market Foolery. I think this is the first time we've had any type of technical issue like this where Taylor Muckerman's microphone was was down and so you could hear Taylor's voice it was being pe- picked up by my mic and Jason's mic um, you know w- were we being sabotaged by one of the other podcasts here at the Motley Fool I don't know oh I don't know I didn't I, think about that I, angle I, but I, you, you might have something I'm there. not going to address those rumors but it couldn't happen to a nicer guy I mean poor Taylor <laughs> poor Taylor know. he's back he's back in the studio first time in a month he's from his you know back from his wedding oh oh well boy. anyway all right let's uh let's get to under armor uh it seems kind of like a mixed bag for the second quarter sales up 28 percent Profits down 58%. They took a $23 million hit from the Sports Authority stores that were closing. We knew they were going to take that hit, so not really a surprise. But you know, just in case you were thinking, oh well, it's you know, it's another bricks and mortar retailer. It's, it's like no, that actually has an effect. Yes, $23 million, and that you know that at the margin can change whether you grow earnings or not grow earnings. And there's there was other things. I mean, they they're still investing heavily in their uh, direct to consumer channel. They're increasing overall headcount, so they're really investing in growth. So yeah, you combine Sports Authority with those investments, it's not surprising to see that that they actually reported ended up reporting a loss on an earnings per share basis for the quarter. Uh, at the same time, it's a mixed bag. Maybe I I still think the results are stellar, and I'm frustrated because I want to actually buy more of this stock, and my million dollar portfolio team has been waiting. But it's been so frustrating because I think Under Armour continues to put up such awesome resort results. If you look at net revenues up 28 percent. To one billion, they guided to full year revenue of almost five billion, which is a very impressive. That's twenty four percent growth over two thousand fifteen. If they hit it, but really two numbers really stood out to me this quarter. It's the international net revenue first. It's up sixty eight percent year over year. You know, if you go back a few years, that number always lagged pretty substantially under Armour's North American growth, and now you see that number accelerating. And international sales are now fifteen percent of total revenue. You know, Kevin Plank talks all about, all the time about being a global brand. I mean, it really felt like lip service for a lot of years, but now it's actually happening. I mean, if you can see that kind of growth and that kind of growth continues, uh, and then of course there's the footwear up 58. Uh, percent You know, a lot of this has to do with Steph Curry, football cleats. But I just remember there were so many doubters, probably including myself, uh, several years ago, whether or not Under Armour would even make a dent. In this market, and here they are. They've got the number one football cleat. They've arguably got one of the best top basketball shoes now, uh, and sales are up 58% in that category. It's very impressive. They're on pace for a billion dollars in revenue footwear over the next 12 months. It's interesting because you know those two things you talked about: international sales and footwear sales. To my memory, you can go back in time, maybe four years, five years, and and they sort of track evenly in terms of. At about the same point in time, they didn't have footwear, and there were no international sales to speak of. And I think there were plenty of people who sort of looked at the company, and and particularly when it came to footwear. Right. When when they came out with footwear, there were there were analysts coming out and saying, you know what, don't do this. Just just you're going to st- pour money down a hole. Well, it's, and yeah. and you know you're you're good at the apparel stuff. 
why don't you grow that more? Why don't you and and to the international sales side? Why don't you look to grow North America even more than it is right now before you attempt to go to Europe and elsewhere and expand? Because you know, particularly Adidas being a, a, a bigger brand oh, sure. overseas than it is here in the states, it's still a good presence here in the states. But um, but to my memory, that those two things sort of started at about the same time. Um, but definitely the footwear. Well, yeah, and I think it's it's it, they've transitioned, and, and Plank talked a lot about this in the release in the call. It's 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 you know if you, several years ago you could you think of Under Armour as a fitness brand. This is a fitness apparel brand. I'm going to buy my you know my undergarments when I go running or training and things like that. But now it's it is officially considered a sports brand as well. And so that might have been for a lot of international consumers, they now recognize Under Armour as, as a sporting brand as well. Um, and so that's probably compelling a lot of the. Uh, the interest in the growth. Speaking of Kevin Plank, yeah. um, one of the other bits of, of news is that Under Armour is taking over some retail space in New York City. It is not just any retail space. It no, is, it is not. It is what was formerly the FAO Schwartz retail space. And uh, if you're listening and you're thinking, well, what what is if you're unfamiliar with FAO Schwartz, if you've ever seen the Tom Hanks movie Big. It is the it is the iconic scene in that movie. It, he's in the toy store, um, playing chops, huge piano on the on floor. The huge piano on the floor. Right. So F. A. O. Schwartz, massive tourist attraction, toy store. That's fifty three thousand square feet, and they're going to take it over. And Plank says, and I'm quoting here: "Our goal is to open the single greatest store in the world." That is, location wise, it is probably <laughs> the single greatest location. And uh, you know, I, I don't. And, and they're yeah. But they're paying for that. They're paying a lot of money. I, I, I read, I guess, the last, and I don't know if it was credible, a credible source, but it said that the rent, the annual rent on that was about $20 million. And that goes back a few years ago when poor FAA Schwartz, I think, declared bankruptcy for the third time or, or, right. or something. Uh, so that's it's a hefty price tag. Again, for me, I, you know, who knows whether they actually make money on that store? I doubt it. But it is probably the ultimate billboard and the ultimate sign that Under Armour is a brand. Has arrived. I mean, you can't, you really can't make a bigger splash than that. I'll just point out two, two quick things before we leave Under Armour. Just on the risk side with Under Armour, inventory was up 30% this quarter. That's been a trend. It's been growing fast in revenue for several quarters now. Planks talked about that sort of being strategic as a way of sort of servicing the DTC warehousing channels, things like that. You can buy that, but again, it's not that you don't want to see inventory growing and apparel business growing faster than revenue over time. And I'll just also point out the debt. Actually, the company's total debt is up uh, more than forty percent to about a billion dollars. Again, not a huge number, you know, relative to the size of the company and, and the results. It's an eighteen billion dollar company, right. so not a big deal. But again, it's a number you, as an investor, you generally don't want to see that going that sharply higher. So let's end on the stock. It's down three and a half percent today, around forty-two dollars a share. When does it become? More interesting for you. I, I I'm assuming that you were, part of you was hoping that they just had a terrible quarter oh, yeah. and that it tanked. You know, fifteen percent. Yeah. I don't. I don't even think it's possible for them to have a terrible quarter. I, I just what I'm hoping for is a quarter that just, in the short term, misses Wall Street's myopic you know expectations, and then and then it gets it gets hit pretty hard. We. I think. Let me just say this. I think it's, there's never a bad time to own Under Armour. I think owning a small position Under Armour. No matter the price, is a great is a great long term investment. Uh, I just just speaking about our million dollar portfolio team, we've kind of got thirty dollars circled, um, and we're looking actually at the Under Armour C shares, which are cheaper than the Under Armour A shares uh, for various reasons. But 
uh, as kind of our target price. Now we don't we're not anchoring to that, but that's that's a price where I think Under Armour gets really interesting. Restaurants as a group have been doing well for a while, and uh, we had talked previously uh, the last earnings season about how, as a group, they did certainly better than general retail. Um, the analysts at Stiefel have put out a note today cutting forecasts for restaurant stocks, including Panera Bread, Chipotle, Cheesecake Factory. All three of those stocks are selling off today. And is is this is this a fun, what's driving this? Is this a function of valuation? Is are there macro reasons at work here? I think it's it's it it sounds it sounds like a macro call because it looks like Stiefel's calling for a recession within the next six to nine months. I think that's the note I saw. Um, you know, that's if if this were a video show, this is where we would cut to a shot of Morgan Housel laughing, <laughs> right? For, all, for for all the times that some someone comes out and says, "I think we're going to see a recession." Right. Uh, and uh, so, if you're making that call, and whether whether you believe in that call or not, restaurants are not a bad place to start cutting expectations because if you think about it, in a recession, that's generally where consumers tend to do less of immediately. They start they start dining out a lot less. Um, you know, and I don't know the individual reasons. I mean, I assume it's just across the board looking at restaurants that have done well and cutting them. Uh, you also have the threat of the higher minimum wage, higher wages in general at a lot of these restaurants, which have sort of benefited from low costs for a long time. That could cause maybe some near-term earnings misses. But to me, I mean, if you're if you're really getting bearish on the restaurant business, I think it's more to do about just just the general. I don't know. Um, the sheer number, I guess, of restaurants and concepts that have just arisen in the last decade or more. I mean, I think as a consumer, we have more choices today when it comes to dining out than we ever have before. And I just, it's always been a competitive environment, but I just think the restaurant business is just more competitive than ever. And I think you see a lot of concepts sort of jumping over each other, taking the best qualities of another one, trying to replicate it in other markets. Uh, and I feel like there's going to be a lot of cannibalization when it comes to, to consumer spending. What is a metric that investors should be looking at, regardless of the restaurant? And let's let's set aside fast food as a group, not to knock them, but just mm-hmm. you know, when Chipotle, Cheesecake Factory, Panera Bread, any other sort of you know, if you want to throw noodles and company in there as well. But is it average ticket price that that you want to see going in the right direction? Is it same store sales? What's like one or two metrics that sort of are a good Thing to look for, regardless of the stock. Right. Well, a lot of you know, a lot of restaurants, analysts, and investors like to focus on same store sales. But you remember, same store sales is a component of both traffic and um, ticket. And I, I tend to I tend to like traffic a lot better because if you have more traffic coming to your store um, and you're not dependent on increasing the price of food, um, that's a that's a clear sign that there's demand for your restaurant. And so and so breaking that same store sales number down and looking at the traffic number is probably your, your best number. Beyond that, I would say. Restaurant level operating margins are, are kind of a key number for me. Anytime you see those coming down uh, quite a bit, um, you got to be worried about the company's overall profitability. A couple of housekeeping notes before our final story. Uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, we're going to be talking about Apple's earnings, among others. Uh, we're also going to be doing Facebook uh, Facebook Live video. So if if you're on the Facebook and you're interested, uh, we're going to be we're going to start the uh, the process at 11:20 Eastern. Mm-hmm. 
on Facebook. So so check that out. Get on the Facebook. Get on the Facebook if you want. Check to see, it out. If you want to see that. Uh, and secondly, thank you to uh, Gabe Allison, one of our listeners and and stock advisor members, for stopping by today and bringing some Sugar Shack donuts. Oh, so all right. He is, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's he you know he lives in the D.C. area. He's well acquainted with Sugar. Really, anyone who comes to the D.C. area needs to get acquainted with Sugar Shack. Oh, for sure. Only if you love amazing donuts. Shares of Nintendo are down ten percent today, and it appears to be because uh, not enough people uh, listen to Motley Fool podcasts because. As best I can tell, the stock is down because Nintendo confirmed what we had talked about just in the in the immediate wake of the Pokemon Go craze right. and, and Nintendo stock soaring. And that is the fact that Nintendo confirmed, hey, just so you know, our company is not making a ton of money off of this. <laughs> what? what? How is this? How is this catching people on surprise? I don't. I don't even consider us to be sort of like cutting edge, breaking news. That's not what we do here. Yeah. But we did point out very early on in this whole process. By the way, Nintendo's getting about a, those in-app purchases. They're getting a ten percent cut. Apple's getting a thirty percent cut. Yeah. I, well, I was on vacation last week, and I so I wasn't. I was kind of loosely following the news. But when I saw Nintendo's market value go up I, at, at the peak price, 60%. It's not, yeah. it's something crazy. I mean, I remember thinking to myself at one night, as I was kind of going through notes, I said, wait a second, Nintendo only owns a small fraction of the company that right. actually owns Pokemon, and they don't, they don't even develop the game, I'm pretty sure, but I wasn't 100% sure. But yeah, I mean, this goes to show you that as, as much as as much as data, as much as we have access to in the market in terms of data information, it is not nearly as efficient as we like to think it is. I mean, and, and so, I am not surprised. I guess maybe in a way, uh, I should be surprised that a lot of potential, call them bots or automatic traders, kind of jumped on this idea when when they saw the just tremendous uh, numbers of Pokemon Go, and they honestly said, "Well, Nintendo's, you know, this is Nintendo." I mean, and if you remember, the original Pokemon games came out on Game Boy, I think, and Nintendo sixty four, and it's always been kind of a uh, a recurring video game on a Nintendo platform, so I, I can understand why there's an association. But yeah, it's just it's a very surprising to me that you can see a stock react this way when clearly publicly available information suggests <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> you got this completely wrong. They they're, they're not going to make very much money from this at all. There's still there is still a bull case to be made for this, and and uh, when Jeff Fisher and I were talking about it uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, he had. Encourage people to email us, and I got a bunch of email from listeners who sort of went through their experience, but also sort of laid out saying, "Hey, look, they've got a, a, a portfolio of characters. They've this is their first real foray into mobile gaming. They they have other characters, you know, as we talked about, like when Disney bought Marvel. Sure, and it's like, well, Marvel's got." Five thousand characters in their library. They can they can Disney can leverage a lot of that. I don't think Nintendo has five thousand or anything approaching that, but they do have a lot of characters. Oh so yeah, there's a bull case to be made. Now, having said that, just in the past month, this stock has more than doubled, and then sort of fallen back to it's still up more than forty percent from where it was a month. Which, ago. based on Nintendo's market cap, by the way, that's a huge number. I, right. mean, I don't know what the billions of that is, but that's. I mean, it's got to be over twenty billion that they've gained in market value right. since <laughs> since Pokemon Go. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I love that point because I think. One thing that's always been interesting about Nintendo is they do have a great library of, of characters, and but beyond the games and beyond some TV shows and things like that, they haven't and some terrible movies, by the way. <laughs> I feel like they haven't done enough to really exploit the value and popularity of 
characters like Super Mario or you know Zelda or things like that. And uh, it's so there is a tremendous opportunity. And if if Pokemon this Pokemon Go is sort of the proving ground for that, um, you can get really excited about what Nintendo could do in mobile gaming. Certainly. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd, special assist behind the glass today from Rick Engdahl. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.